All right, welcome to a pre-Milwaukee Muskie Expo podcast. This week we're going to talk to Scott Donovan with Shawnee Expeditions, and we're talking to to, uh, Scott because he's actually out fishing, one of the uh, rare guides that we have these days that's out fishing, so we're going to talk to him, kind of go over his... uh, what he's got going on in the water, you know, what to expect out of southern Illinois, and hopefully you can pick up a couple of tips and tricks to help you put some muskies in the net when it's your turn to uh, get on the water. And if you are looking to get out of the house this weekend, February 17th, 18th, and 19th, we will be at the Washington County Fair Park in West Bend. I've talked about it on this podcast before. We call it the Milwaukee Show because it used to be there. And I don't know, I'd say six, seven years ago, who knows, it's probably about in that ballpark. It moved a little bit north up to West Bend. So that's where we're going to be. We'll be there on Friday from Friday the 17th from 2 to 8. Be there on the 18th from 9 to 5. And we'll be there on the 19th from 9 to 2. I know I was just talking to Brad. My trailer is jam-packed with all sorts of stuff. If you're looking for Lakewood, St. Croix rods, RS nets, drifter nets, baits upon baits upon baits. You want the new grenade, the mini grenade from Muskie Mayhem Tackle. We have piles of it. Lots of custom colors, but if you also want, you know, some of the stock colors, make sure you stop on out and you see Brad and Carrie in the Muskie Mayhem Tackle booth. You can uh, check out some seminars there at the show. Looking at Kevin Pischke, Greg Thomas, Herbie, Jeff Van Remortel, Doug Wagner, Michael Hansen. I think I missed a couple other ones in there as well. Those are just ones I had off the top of my head. So check that out. And then Brad, I think we want to talk a little bit about something we're going to test out here at this uh, show on Friday the 17th. Brad, what do you think we're going to do there? I think it's going to be interesting, Jeff. Uh, we've never done something like this before. Generally, uh, I think every recording so far has been me away from you, and we're tying the phone conversation together. But for the first time ever, we're going to actually record right together at a Muskie Expo. Some interesting things might happen there, Jeff. I don't know how this is all going to play out. So we're going to do this in the Muskie Mayhem Tackle booth at roughly 7 o'clock on Friday night. So the show runs until 8, so we'll have about an hour to, uh, to play around with the podcast. And if, you wanna, if you're at the show and you want to stop by, stop on by. We'll certainly take questions if there are people. We're assuming at this point that there aren't going to be any, so then we're just going to kind of go off on a regular podcast. And since we have access to many, many fishing guides in that area at that show, we're going to uh, try to have a few of them pop in, maybe talk about how their season's going, maybe talk about things they're looking forward to in, in the you know upcoming season. If you guys have any you know things that you want us to you know to cover in this, I mean, because it'll be about an hour long episode. If you want anything, you know, if you want to have us cover anything, you know, drop us a uh, message on one of our social platforms, whether it be Instagram or Facebook, or uh, send us an email, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. We will uh, we'll certainly try to uh, make this you know interactive as much as we can. Whether or not there are people there or not, we have no idea. But if you're at the show and you certainly want to stop by, you know, stop by at seven o'clock on uh, Friday the seventeenth, and we're going to try to do some sort of you know, like I said, live deal or whatever. Typically, after these shows, we're really rushed to put out an episode, much as we are this week because we've been getting ready for the shows, but. And then we'll just give you a recap of the Milwaukee show or whatever. Kind of really generic episodes, and uh, we're trying to avoid that for this one. And since Brad and I will both be at the show together, um, we figured we'd try something new. And so I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know what type of episode you're going to get. I don't know what type of turnout you're going to get as far as if anybody actually comes walking over to the booth. But if you have questions and you're at the booth, I mean, we'll certainly get you on a podcast. So we'll, we'll, we can definitely do that. And so if, if you're interested... You know, stop on out on uh, February 17th at about 7 o'clock in the Muskie Mayhem Tackle booth. Brad, think I covered everything? I think so. I, I, You know, the cool part of this whole thing is is that we potentially could accommodate anybody's questions almost in a live-type atmosphere. So it definitely is unique. I don't know if anybody else has done this in this type of scenario, but uh, it should be interesting. Background noise might be an issue, Jeff, but we'll work through those issues as well. Yeah, I certainly expect it not to be our most clean recording that we've ever had. I would I would anticipate that being somewhat of a problem because the show will still go on till 8 o'clock. So we got about an hour or so to get things going and we'll give it a shot. I mean, it can't be any, I, I don't want to say any worse, but it, it, it's got to be more informational than our typical post, you know, Muskie Expo release on that Wednesday. So I got a feeling this will be a better episode. 
Yeah, let's hope so. I think uh, it should be interesting, and I think uh, it'll be fun. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, some of the listeners swing by. It'll be a cool opportunity for people. Well, the way I look at it, you know, we have, uh, let's see here. We have about eight listeners, one of which I know will be there. Pete, from uh, that helps out Stealth Tackle all the time. I know Pete, he's probably like a, maybe our number one podcast fan. He was dropping down the list a little bit, Brad, but he sent me a couple pizzas the other day, so I, I'll, uh, I'll raise him up in the, on the book there. So I take, I take bribes, <laughs> <laughs> not just any pizza either. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these things were right flown all the way from Illinois, packed in dry ice. You know, we got some Giordano, some good stuff in, uh, so anyways, I know Pete will be there, but I hope maybe, you know, at least one of our other eight listeners or seven listeners shows up and, and, uh, stops by and has a question to ask us. I can only imagine what kind of question Pete will ask us if he does show up. So it could be interesting. Yeah, it should be it should be a fun time, actually, Jeff. I, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of laughs, and um, yeah, it'll be a good time all the way around. All right. Well, if you can't make it out to a Muskie Expo and you're looking for gear, check out TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. You can also find a pile of new stuff over at MuskieMayhemTackle.com. I know they have, you know, new, new mini grenades, and then they also have you know piles of clothing, hats, t-shirts, jerseys, whatever. Anyways, uh, so. Brad, what else might people find in your booth for the show? You know, one of the things that I think has gotten lost is we've uh, had a little bit of turnover in the musky crowd. Um, there's a lot of new people that have come to the sport, Jeff. And one of the unique things that Musky Mayhem Tackle has always done is you can come into the booth and actually custom order whatever colors your heart desires. We'll tie it right there for you. We'll assemble the bait right there for you and get you on your way. So... Anybody that's interested in doing anything custom in our booth, come on over and check it out. The other thing, uh, I think one bait that you've kind of missed, and, and it's an old bait, Jeff, but um, is the hurricane. And anybody that's been out there watching Mayhem's 10,000 cast, we're at the midway part of the season. We definitely put that bait to work and kind of maybe even reinvented it to a certain degree. But it's a unique bait. They'll be available um we've got the big grenades the mini grenades like you said the mini grenade was new this year did very well so come on over and check us out we pretty much we don't have every bait that we make but uh we got a pretty good assortment all right well brad unless you got something else to add to this episode i say we just dial up our conversation that we had with scott donovan for anybody that cares brad ditches out during the middle of the conversation so if at the end brad doesn't say anything you'll you'll know why he had uh, more important things to do see i'd you know, it's that time of year, busy things to do. Brad was running off grabbing some blades. Somebody made a special trip in so you could keep working. So that's what that's what's up with Brad. Brad kind of drops off, I would say, at the uh, you know end of the conversation, like the last 10 minutes or so. Yeah, unfortunately, Jeff, I, I had to go pick up a whole load of blades. They did not ship on time, and uh, they accommodated us to be able to get them on a Saturday. So that was pretty large and uh, would keep us kind of moving forward. Well, let's go dial up that conversation with Scott. All right. Our guest this week is Scott Donovan with Shawnee Expeditions and Scott's guiding down at Lake Kincaid. The last time we had Scott on was episode 96, way back in January 27th of 2021. I did a little bit of homework this week because I thought, like, oh, it seems like it's probably been maybe about a year since we talked to Scott. I would have never guessed it was uh, it was two, but I guess time flies when you're having fun, huh, Scott? Absolutely. On the water. That's right. Speaking of on the water, that's the reason why we have you on this week. I mean, we like to talk, uh, you know, Southern, or we like to talk Southern Illinois waters anyways, but you know, you're one of the rare guys that's actually out fishing and you told us, you know, like this podcast fits in because you got to go fishing this afternoon. So let's talk a little bit about that. How's the bite been? You know, what can people expect if they're out fishing right now? Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's talk fishing. I mean, that we haven't talked to an angler that's fished in probably, oh, I don't know, two or three months. I appreciate that. You know, first fish of the boat uh, this year was January 2nd with my wife and kiddo. Of course, it's that southern reservoir of rattle trap bite. You know, we're, we're also short line and trolling, but uh, yeah, open water. We actually had water temps up to 46 degrees in January. Uh, got hit with a little bit of cold front and some ice, and we actually just got about an inch and a half to two inches of rain last week. But uh, as you know us, we like our muddy water, so it actually is uh, pushing a little bit more fish up shallow because that muddy water retains a little bit more heat midday. The anglers are out here too. You know, it's not uh, quiet. We got guys in the parking lot from Minnesota and Wisconsin and Missouri and uh, just sharing the bite with everyone. And 
multiple fish days are not uncommon right now. Uh, nothing real big. Biggest in the boat, to be honest, is 38 inches. But this time of year, a fish is a fish. And actually, for us, you know, we do have a chance at hopefully a state record this spring. You know, Illinois is one of the only states that has a uh, sub 40 pounder, and that's our goal. But uh, still out there having fun with the little girls and guys, and happy to uh, talk about the bite that we've got too. If you guys are interested in hearing a little bit about that. Absolutely. You know, Scott, it, one of the things that's always interesting to me and the time that I've gotten to spend in the South, you know, this time of the year can be really cool. And I'm assuming you're chasing a lot of the shad and finding the muskies uh, relatively close. Yeah. And there's a little bit of uh, truth to that. And there's also a little bit of devil's advocate as well. So a lot of those main lake fish that are still suspended, I, I think a lot of the real big girls are still uh, staying close to those big balls of, of gizzard shad, you know, the young of the year are already about three inches long and yeah, they're, they're happy, but there is another group of residential fish and then fish moving in that are actually moving away from the balls of shad and moving to the very back of the coves. Um, and it's my theory that they're going to start picking apart some of the bluegills that are back there. You got the shad eaters, but then you also have a group of fish that start moving to the backs where the shad really aren't present yet. There's some balls back there, but definitely seen them eating some bluegills too. And that's been, evident with the color of the baits we've been using as well. So what's your normal program look like, Scott? Say you get out on the water, because, you know, a lot of those uh, balls of shad are going to move around throughout the, every day it's a little bit different, right? Where, what do you, how do you start your program each day? So first program is I just do the milk run. Um, and by milk run, I mean the spots that I know that are holding fish. Um, even if I know there's not a big girl there, you know, these guys are driving to far ways and I want to get them on something right away. So I'll typically head back to the four to six foot mud flats, throwing rattle baits, um, specifically lunging lures, rattling shad seem to be the hot bite. Go through that one or two times. And it's not uncommon in the first 15 to 20 minutes, right at first light to have a really good bite this time of year. Historically, we would start a little bit later because we thought the water needed to warm up. Um, but there is definitely a first light bite right now through January and February. We go through those, we beat them up a little bit. It slows down. We'll typically move out to the main lake. Um, you know, let the client have an option. Do we want to kind of, poke around for some mid thirties or do you want to go troll out on the main lake 18 to 20 feet and see if we can get one of the big queens. And then if we got moon phases or some weather moving in, um, that kind of predicts whether we're going to move out of the shallow folks or not. That's kind of been every day, the same elk run, same mud flats. They hold fish consistently and they also refresh because when you do have those shad balls come in, it seems like the shad, shad will come in, disperse, shad move out. And this time of year, it does seem like some of the muskies will stick around a little bit longer. You also have multiple fish within very short distances. So they stack up in certain areas that make it fun because you can do five, six, 15 passes in one day within a hundred yard stretch and you know you're on some fish. That can be a, an incredible bite, no doubt about it. Um, are, how much are you utilizing all your electronics, Scott? So right now, side imaging has been pretty key in that like eight to 12 if they're in the timber. A lot of times they're going to be up on the mud flats at the soft bottom. Really, some of these fish are real, real shallow, to be honest. Even in January, we were catching them in one to three feet. Um, and at that point, we were just going off prior knowledge and the consistency of the bite that we've had for about 15 years. So in some essences, when I get into some of these coves, I actually turn off my electronics, which is completely different than what you think. <laughs> um, so yeah, once I get out a little bit and get into the deeper timber, the side imaging comes back on down imaging and just making sure that those fish are there. Um, but a lot of times we go kind of stealth when we get into that three to four foot range. Yeah. I've been hearing a lot more about that. I mean, there's a lot of guys on different bodies throughout Minnesota that I talk to that their, their thought process is when they're shallow, they know that the fish are usually there. They're turning off electronics. They don't want anything pinging on these fish. So I find it interesting. Um, at, at times, I almost feel like sometimes they're attracted to the electronics. You'll see a fish, and pretty soon it's right underneath the boat, right? So, mm -hmm. yes, kind of a confusing deal. I've seen them attack trolling motors. You know, we've all done this long enough. The weird stuff happens. They've attacked trolling motors. I've had them follow. You know, we catch them, what, four or five feet in the prop wash. But on our lake, we've got the state record crappie for hybrid crappie. It's four pounds, nine ounces. It's heavily fished for crappie. And the amount of electronics um, that musky guys have are intense. But if you see the crappie guys, um, we're, you know, we're almost behind the curve for some of us southern guys on how much electronics. So that's when I like to go into the stealth mode. Um, but primarily, you know, 80% of the day it's on. And I really like the side imaging, especially for the fish that are suspended out in the trees. Makes total sense. 
I don't know about those crappy guys, man. You you look at some of their boats and their rigs. It is, it's absolutely insane what they've got going on. It's incredible. And these guys are, you know, they're um, seeing fish too. So we did a lot of ethics and a lot of kind of forward movements with the crappie and, and local musky guys. They looked at them as, as a gar or a junk fish. Um, you know, I know cave run guys dealt with that for a while and still are, um, even down in Tennessee and some of the waters we're sneaking to, um, just some of that education base that these fish are, are predator fish, they're apex predators, and they're also helping the resource. Um, I actually just talked to Nick Abel, who's our DNR biologist for Pyramid State Park. He's got three musky lakes up there and, um, really learning about the impact. You know, those were fresh lakes 15, 20 years ago, and he's really seeing the size of other fish increase, including other anglers. Uh, joining in on you know, you know the fun, so there's, it's definitely a bonus. And uh, the crappie guys now are kind of waving us over, like, "Hey, I got them on the panoptics right below me." You know, yeah, it's definitely been a little bit different um, synergy between other anglers. Um, and I think we all know that as musky anglers, especially in the South, we're frowned upon a little bit. It's my mission to change that, at least for Kincaid and Southern Illinois. You know, Scott, let's talk a little bit about, you were, you were talking rattle traps, and we hear about rattle traps all the time, but I don't know that we've talked about the gear that you use. Why don't you talk about your, your rod and reel setup, and let's talk about how your line setup on this, because I would imagine, and then maybe even a leader too, I'm assuming you're still using a leader, but I would imagine you downsize that as well, you know, for anglers that are looking to get set up to do something like this. What do they got to get? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So right now we're, we're going with these elk rivers. I really like them. Um, and a lot of guys like a fast action tip. I like a medium fast. Um, so that road rod can load up a little bit, especially on the real big fish clients and myself tend to pull the hooks out because we're fishing these one ounce, you know, three inch rattle traps. Uh, I fish owner STX 36 hooks. Um, the ones that Lungeon has on them are great, but I really do like a thin hook. Um, those thinner hooks seem to hook up a lot nicer. I used to fish Eagle Claw 774, one ounce on everything. Still caught some fish, but then when we downsized the hooks to even a thinner, just a little bit better action, kind of getting dialed in. With the leaders, we really like stealth tackle spring leaders. Um, I actually clip off the welded ring and go straight to the leader, and then I use a split ring to attach everything after that. And the split rings, I think, are four and a half or five uh, that we use. And then line, I really like 80 pound. Um, You know, a lot of guys will down to 40. Uh, to 65. I really like Master Braid, uh, Cortland. I think they renamed it. Uh, and then we also have a couple other different lines that we use, but 65 to 80 pounds average. And these guys don't have to reload with 80 pounds. Your stuff is still going to catch some fish, specifically if you're fishing in timber. Um, I like to have a little bit thicker line, which goes against a lot of guys' thought processes. A lot of guys will fish 30, 45 pound test. And believe me, I've got bass rods and spinning rods ready to go with you know, man's minus ones and small chatter baits and just kind of guiding from the back, throwing something a little different to make sure we're not missing a couple fish. Um, but primarily it's going to be uh, eight to nine foot, medium heavy, um, fast, medium fast action. Um, I really like the, oh, what are they called? Tranks 300 high gears. I know a lot of guys like the 400s and 500s. But when you're throwing these small baits and flipping and pitching and, and short little um, precision casts, that 300 seems to be the real also like the Dio Alexa 300, but I'm getting a little bit more use out of the, the Tranxes these days. All right. That's interesting that you're still an 80 pound guy. Cause like you said, you hear a lot of people downgrade to uh, 65 pound for the spring. So, you know, I guess that makes it more uh, dual purpose essentially. Cause yeah, I don't know. I, I wouldn't necessarily be using 80 pound during midsummer in my opinion, but yes. Their own, yep. Right? yep. So and a lot of my rods are multi, right? So I may take off a rattle trap and put on some small bass bait. I really like the uh, small phantoms, those little four-inch phantoms. Um, they actually throw pretty well on a spinning rod, too. But, you know, and switching over to a chatterbait, I know I mentioned that a minute ago. It seems to be kind of our little sneaky bait at the moment. Um, and I'm talking bass baits, not the angry dragons, which are great baits. But it seems like those real small chatterbaits are coming on, especially mid-March. You know, now everyone's throwing rattle traps. Just kind of getting a little bit different can be beneficial. But I have not seen a big difference with the 80 pound as much as you think it would, but I would say 65 pounds average below that. I get a little nervous, especially around the timber that we're muffing. And a lot of times I'm like with our believers and our swim whizzes and our depth raiders, you know, there's a bite down here in May where we're cranking crankbaits off of timber as hard as we can. Uh, there's also times in March <laughs> where it seems to work with the rattle traps. If you can get a good deflection, they just come right off that deadhead and they inhale them. Um, when that happens where 
if we're straight retrieving right now, the bite feels like, I mean, I get to the lake, I tell the client, you hook a fish right now, it's going to feel like you're hooking a, a, a brush pile. Um, the bite's really light. It's a, it's a pole. It's not like a yank, if that makes sense. They don't seem to even know they're hooked until they get to the boat, and that's when they start alligator rolling. Definitely something to be dialed into, too. You know, a lot of guys throughout the day, I was like, oh, I just bumped something. Oh, something just hit me. Instead of these muskies coming up and inhaling the baits, they seem to want to just bite the tails off. All of them are beak hooked. The majority of them are beak hooked. Um, kind of like what you get with a spinnerbait, just right in the tip of the snout. Do you see that, Scott, with uh, your trolling bite as well? I mean, are you just barely, are they nipping at you when you're trolling versus that casting bite? Well, with like the, when I've got my 13-inch grandmas, my 14-inch shakes, and Slammer came out with an awesome big deep crankbait that runs about 20, 21 feet. All of those fish this winter came on the back hook, beak hook. The 22 shorts, the boss shads, the, the LPs, those are going to be, they're inhaled a little bit. So it seems like when I'm trolling six to eight feet, they're inhaling them a little bit more. Um, when I'm out on the main lake trolling 3.2, the bigger fish seem to be hooked on the back hook. So a little, a little bit of both. Um, but when we're back in the spawning areas, when I'm trolling, they seem to eat them a little better. Just that cold water potentially, you know, making them a little bit more sluggish than normal. You'll notice with the rattle traps for sure. Um, you know, it's even hard to tell sometimes a 34 to a 44, no joke, um, until you really get the fish sideways because they're really just, they're nipping on them and, and that's about it. And these water temps typically are 34 to 38 degrees. You know, 36 to 38 is typical for January, February. And then we get through the 40s, you know, uh, early March and then late March, 50 to 60. And that's when we start seeing our spawn spread out throughout the lake. Do you ever uh, extend your rear hook? Do you put a little uh, piece of wire between your hook and the body of the bait just to try to get some of those nippers? I haven't. Um, what I have done is tied on a little mylar or flashaboo. I'll super glue or just tie on. It only lasts for a day or two. I've been known to take a little cowgirl out, snip a little thing out or do a little super glue and just get a little flash off of them. But I really think just straight retrieving these things, just mundane cast and reel. Um, we'll put more fish in the boat than anything. It really is just a reaction bite. So Scott, you know, for anglers looking to come down, do you have openings available yet this spring? So yeah, I appreciate you asking. It's been an incredible spring, and I want to say thanks to all the Shawnee Expeditions clients. I'm booked up until October. Um, we stopped musky fishing in June, and I, I did fill up pretty early this year. So speaks highly to Lake Kincaid, um, but also speaks to you know what Southern Illinois has to offer. I do have, fortunate enough, one of my best friends, uh, Chris Reby, uh, will be down guiding with me in March, and he gets here March 1st, and I think he has five days left open um, the second week of March right now. Kincaid's due to put out a big one, and I think March fills up really quick. First week of April, it slows down a little bit. We let the fish recoup. It can still be really good. You do get some fresh fish coming off those deep shad balls, and of course the males, are, are they stick up there and they're feisty. Um, and then, you know, we stopped guiding about the first week of June because our water temps get over 80. And to be honest, Kincaid in the middle of summer gets almost 95 degrees surface temps. So it gets hot. And then that first week of, of October. But, uh, yeah, right now we're booked up. Uh, we're actually busy looking at some other ventures to get some youth out there with a camp angler program that we're going to be running. Uh, but for right now, um, yeah, things are good. Well, before, before we get into that youth event, um, I got a couple other questions. One being, sure. how far away are you from Chicago? So, so if somebody's interested, maybe use Chicago as a base so that they understand what kind of drive it is. Number two, what's that bite look like in March? I mean, is it the same bite that we've just been discussing? Are things going to change? And why do you think that that time frame is the time frame for a, a larger fish? Yeah, so we're about five and a half to six hours south of Chicago, about two hours from St. Louis, and about three hours from Nashville. We are really out in the middle of nowhere. It's Shawnee National Forest. There's no houses on the lake, 2,750 acres, and a lot of nice little hotels and VRBOs tucked away. Route 57 is a straight shot. You don't even have to. There's one turn. The minute you leave Chicago, there's one turn, and that's Route 13 in Murfreesboro. Pretty mundane drive, cornfields, till you get down to Effingham. And then after that, you get into the Shawnee National Forest. And talking about the March bite, not much is going to change. There's a couple really good coves right now that those fish are relating to. So what happens in March is these fish will, the main lake fish will start moving into the marina. They'll start moving into some of the northern coves, um, Five Fingers area, and even around Paul Ice Weeds. And then there's a bite that not only people talk to recently, but in March, if, you, if we don't get a lot of rain, the north end where the headwaters is, which is 
typically where you'd think these fish would move up to with the current. These fish relate up there, and the DNR does very well in the nets, but the anglers don't do very well, and I think a lot of people have lack of confidence, primarily, Brad, because of the water quality. These guys are so used to fishing clear lakes, and you know, just they don't have the confidence, and if you don't have the confidence, you're not going to fish it. Um, but there's definitely a bite up on the north end in March that can put some really big fish in the, in the net. We also go to some twitch baits, too. They get their butts kicked in by the rattle traps. So there's times where a shallow invader or a small grandma or even a little crane bait um, can really put some fish in the boat. We speed up a little bit as well. Um, so as the water warms up, you know, even with the rattle traps right now, we're not burning them. We're actually kind of just pinging off the bottom. After you get about three, four feet, we slow down off the break. And they seem to be, if they're not up in that two to three foot range, they seem to be on that first little break where there's still some milfoil and coontail that are present. So I would say if anything changes in March, go to a twitch or glide bait, hellhounds, phantoms are kind of the classics down here. Slow flows, I know, put a lot of big fish in the boat last year, as well as uh, some of the chaos tap dancers on Reeby's boat. Scott, you know, you think about the rattle bite, and the rattle bait bite is so strange to me because there's certain bodies of water that people really utilize it, and then there's all these other reservoirs throughout the south, and guys will say, we cannot buy a bite on a rattle bait. So I'm not exactly sure what that all means. Do you have any examples of what that potentially comes from? I think it's a lot that it's not your typical musky fishing. For us, we want to be out there throwing pounders and hurting our bodies and going through the motions. I think that is part of musky fishing. That is the allure of our sport, right? You know, you're going to be throwing big gear and big baits and lots of follows. Well, you may go three months right now without a follow. January, February, and March, if these fish are going to put forth effort, effort to eat your bait, you're going to hook them before they get to the boat or before you come into your first turn in the figure eight, they're going to eat as that rattle trap's coming back up to the boat. So going back to your question, I think a lot of people don't put in the, the respected time to learn their bite. And I also think that quite essentially, it's not true. I don't know how to say it. It's not your true musky fishing, right? I mean, we're downsizing. We're, you know, I got some loose bass baits with, with quarter ounce rattle traps that we're catching fish on. Berkeley, seven strand leaders, you know, some of the real downside stuff. So I think it's more of a mindset of an angler, and I also think it's putting in your time to learn in the bite because it does, just like guys that start trolling for the first time, a lot of my clients do not want to troll. We go out, we educate, I show them what we're doing, and, and some of these guys now book the end of May just for trolling. So I think it's just learning the style in which to do it and gaining confidence. Have you ever mixed in like a swim whiz or a believer? You know, they make some smaller baits. You know, it's another rattle bait. Uh, a little larger, of course, but I'm just yeah. curious if you've ever tried that out. Yeah, I do. And that was actually the bite before the rattle traps. So our, our bite before the rattle trap was the bleeders. Um, that was definitely, and 10 inch jakes, especially on the north end with muddy water. And that's actually an old Chad Kane bite um, that still comes uh, into play quite often. Uh, we all know Chad was, you know, he loved the believers and swim whizzes, and that's definitely something that he did and re-replicated. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And also small bucktails too. I picked up a couple of rabbit squirrels from you, real small ones. Lungeon makes the firecracker. And then I didn't pull the trigger, but you guys have a new real small little bucktail. Uh, I think they were like four, four blades, Brad. They were in the packaging at the Chicago Muskie show. Something like that could really trigger some fish too. And I'd be reeling those pretty fast. But as far as believers, absolutely. Yeah, it's quite amazing, honestly, Scott. I mean, me personally, I've not fished the MDC. It, it, the MDC stands for Micro Double Cowgirl, and mm -hmm. um, they're a cool little bait. And when Carrie first made that, that was her baby, and she took it down to the dock to a, a non-musky lake, and I think she caught three pike within five casts. And we're hearing about different people. There's a, there's a couple different, a group of guys that go to Canada every year, and that's all they're throwing. And they're like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to us. And I'm like, really? It blows my mind, but guess what? I mean, if it's effective, do it, right? So yeah. it's, a, it's an effective tool. Gives a different option, different look, tiny little profile. It's kind of cool. I never thought about that for you down there. Yeah, it, it worked. We used to fish the real small Frenchy blades. And up on Shelbyville, there was a really good bucktail bite pre-spawn. And that was actually before we really knew the, the rattle trap bite. We're talking 20, 21 years ago. I want to keep my mindset that as, you know, if the rattle trap bite slows down, I still have somebody throwing the rattle trap the whole day. And the rattle trap's going to be front, right? Like, say for the northern guys, you got your bucktail, 
you got your top water or what have you, and you guys will switch off in the front. The guy in the back's throwing some rubber or slowing down some blades to get them down deep. With us, it's going to be, you know, rattle trap up front, maybe a, a chatter bait in the middle, and then following up with a glide bait or small twitch bait. All right, so Scott, you know, we talked a lot about this casting stuff. Is there much of a trolling bite this time of year? There is actually. You know, we spend a lot of time on these mud flats, but we're going to be moving between mud flats within this area. A lot of people know the water treatment area as a good spawning ground, and I would concur. Um, but as we move between these mud flats, it's all no wake. So we're, you know, we're, we're going slow anyways, three to four miles an hour. So it's not uncommon to lay a couple rods out and uh, actually run into some of the bigger fish this time of year. You also get some fish that are migrating through or held up on some of the structure that exists on the lake. And um, specifically in the water treatment area, you've got a lot of roads, right? We're a reservoir that was flooded and you've got to really understand where some of the early roads were, as well as some of the farm fields actually, and some of the um, rows of uh, old evergreens and trees that were on the lake. So you are passing up prime fishing grounds um, as you're working your way casting spots. So even if you want to hold a rod out, AKA rattle trap, 22 short, um, you will run into fish as you move between mud flats. When we come off these six to eight foot mud flats and get out into the main basin, specifically in the water treatment area, it's anywhere from 12 to 18 feet deep. Yeah, it's not uncommon to uh, run into a couple fish doing that. It also gets your, your fish count up too. And also when you're back in the flats, beating up the fish, a lot of times if it's high pressure, especially midday, those fish will move to the mouth of those coves, presenting baits quickly through multiple mouths as you do big round circles back in there can be uh, really, really good. And like, is that a speed related deal? I mean, we always hear about, you know, short line, speed trolling. I would imagine speed's not the factor right now, but I don't fish early season at all. So you'd know better than I do, obviously. 3.6 is our magic number. Uh, in the wintertime on those big baits, 3.2 is our magic number. Um, but 3.6 all the way to 4 puts fish in the boat. We've caught them 4.2, 4.3. Um, but a lot of times we're just trying to really get in tight to a little pocket or something like that and giving the bait a little bit different action. That's where the speed comes into play. But most of the time, 3.6 on the smaller baits seem to be great. Um, one thing I'm doing with stealth tackle is running four foot wire leaders instead of some of the small spring leaders. So I'll do um, Shimano TDR, nine foot trolling rods, 40 pound big game mono, uh, Berkeley. And then run that to a four foot wire leader. And then all of those wire leaders are all set up with traps. And I'll run those anywhere from six, maybe five to 15 foot back. Um, so a lot of those fish you're seeing out in the main basin as you come across, all those fish are suspended and higher up in the water column, especially on the bright days. All right. So I got to ask you a question. I heard you talk about, you know, big baits and small baits. You're like, oh, we use big baits in the wintertime. Well, what is what is wintertime considered for you? Because up here in the <laughs> north, this is still winter for us. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, where, where, you know, where do you make that, that line, I guess, where you're running 14s one day and then the next minute you're running, you know, like four-inch rattle traps? Like, where is that line drawn there? The boat is heavily loaded with gear at the moment, <laughs> to say the least. Um, so I've got my big lake woods full of all my big stuff out there. I have more confidence up shallow to catch fish with clients. Um, but if I do have some guys that want to come down and hunt for the queen, um, I do think that out on the main basin with bigger baits is probably your best bet. Even throwing some medusas and cowgirls, they do eat big blades and also uh, bulldogs as well. But for me, my winter is typically December through the first couple weeks of January. This year, I, my winter would be December. December was cold and, and a little, little tough, to be honest. And then January, February, it does feel like winter, but I'm uh, 55 degrees today. Water temps are probably low 40s once I get out there. And uh, it's a beautiful bluebird sky day, and we're in uh, sweatshirts. So, you know, December, a couple weeks in January uh, would be our winter. Now you got me jealous, Scott. I mean, uh, when we live up where we live, <laughs> it gets to be a little bit brutal. Um, and it's a long period of time. But, you know, the cool part is, is that you by doing what you do down there, you give some of these anglers some options. And I, I think everybody should head south, you know, if they can at some point and hook up with somebody like yourself and it, it breaks the monotony. That's for sure. And it keeps you kind of in the game. Absolutely. And you've got a chance at some nice fish. You know, a lot of guys would be like, you know, we're going for a boat ride today. I said, absolutely not. And they're like, well, it's okay if we do, because I'm freezing. I've been ice fishing the last couple of weeks. And, you know, of course I've been an ethical angler since day one and, I don't feel comfortable that we're going to catch fish. You know, we reschedule and look at something different or I'm just honest with the guys, guys a couple you know, days out, but uh, that's not the case around this time of year. And 
we do get a lot of guys from the north, but we also get a lot of guys from the south too. And the north has their peak season, you know, June, July, August. You know, we put our rods down and then we restart back up in October. Yeah, spring fishing is definitely phenomenal. And, you know, it's not just like in Cade, it's Kentucky and Green River and, you know, you got Cave Run and in Tennessee, there's a lot, a lot of beautiful fish down there as well. Definitely a lot more anglers taking advantage of that. Um, it's evident this year, um, just by the amount of boats on Lake Kincaid. So I'm guessing you say that uh, when you say there's a amount of boats, pressure's up this year? Yeah, if I would say pressure's up, you know, you guys are going to laugh. I'm talking five to six boats. So that's, yeah. So, you know, we this time of year, we would be the only ones out there. You know, maybe me and Mac Dunkel um, might be the only two boats. Walt Krause, another guy down the lake, all really respectful and great guys. Uh, but now we're starting to get some out-of-towners, which is great. You know, I love seeing it. We I've been hanging out at the boat ramp and calling my wife and saying, hey, I mean, I'm not going to be home for half an hour, an hour. We're, you know, we're having fun talking muskies. That's what it's all about. That is funny to hear you say that five to six boats is pressure. Cause I'm thinking like green Bay where, you know, you get like 68 boats on a spot. <laughs> that's, that's pressure. I've been, I've been there a bunch, uh, for opener. I did that for about 10 years and, uh, that's not my style. So, uh, but we do get really busy in March. Uh, I'm not going to lie. You know, there might be, uh, oh, let's see in the Marina, there might be eight to 10 boats, you know, just hitting different pockets. But what you see is, you don't get cut off a lot. Everyone's fishing clockwise, typically, depending on the wind. And we've got a really good routine down here of, of local and guys from afar that really are respectful. And, you know, someone gets a big fish in one of the coves and guys are clapping and hooting and hollering. It's awesome. You know, it's, it's really good to see. And that's taken a while to create that environment down here, but I was glad to be part of it and continue to be part of it. All right. So, Scott, we've talked a lot about, you know, rattle traps. But if somebody's making the trip either, you know, to Kincaid or in your general area, you know, what would you say are like five must-haves, you know, baits for them to come down and fish with you guys? Yeah, absolutely. And this is going to be not only just pre-spawn, but post-spawn as well. You know, we mentioned lunging lures, rattling shads, but you can't go wrong with a small bucktail or small spinnerbait. You know, we always used to joke around a, a white spinnerbait with a little chartreuse is going to put fish in the boat every day. That seems to be true, even with the bass guys that are out on the lake. So downsized uh spinnerbait natural shad pattern is a is a must um a small little twitch bait you know you guys can find like a six inch jake or a grandma at any big box store if you want to get a little bit more creative some of the amabamas and small cobs uh, i really like um a lot of the the shallow invaders as well if you're in a fish kincaid i would definitely have a shallow invader in the box and that's for every month out of the year definitely pretty sweet bait one that will kind of throw you through a loop, even with the cold water, is a small topwater bait. I know flat tails are really big up north. They're also really great down here. American hardwood lures uh, makes a small flat tail that has put a ton of fish in the boat almost all winter long. If you are going to get a follow, typically it would be on that. And then, you know, we, we mentioned it before, the, the old believer, the old standby uh, Homer LeBlanc swim was or, or drifter believer, I would think, uh, is, is definitely a must. Also, you know, even not just the top musky baits, but there's a lot of guys that can convert over with some of their, their uh, bass baits, you know, like a, a minus one or some of the Bill Normans. You know, there's guys that have been putting fish in their boat since the inception on Lake Kincaid on spoon plugs. So there's a lot of crossover baits, too. You guys don't have to spend a lot of money to put fish in the boat. And that's not just for Kincaid Lake, but for really all southern reservoirs. It's interesting that you talk about top water in, you know, colder water because I was always a believer as much, you know, I would say most musky anglers are that, you know, once the water temperatures drop below, I don't know, we'll say like 50 degrees or whatever, yep. that, you know, top water is something you're just going to put away. Well, I was fishing. And I used to. <laughs> yeah, yep. it, exactly. And I was fishing with uh, Jeff Van Remortal. It was a couple years back and it was October and, it, and the water was pretty cold and he's throwing a, you know, fat bastard from Lake X and I was like. Yeah. Really, Jeff? He's like, oh, trust me, these fish will eat these things. And he ends up putting two in the net. If I ever edit edit the video, I have it all, you know, all on that I'd put out on YouTube, but I got to edit it. It's definitely been on my to-do mm-hmm. list. But yeah, it was, and it, it was interesting because, you know, like October, cold weather, cold water, it's definitely not something I would have ever dreamed that, that I would have thrown, but it, it worked. I mean, those fish eat it and, you know, you concur with the same thing. They suck them in too. They don't, for me... Um, this time of year, they don't blow up on them. They suck them in. Like you see a bluegill coming to eat a little, little, you know, fry or something off the surface. That's almost what it's like. It's a very delicate thing. And you mentioned Lake X fat bastard. Actually, 
behind the flat tail, I really like their mini bastard, the real small ones that John made. Yep. I've got a black one that probably has about 35 fish on it and it looks, I mean, it's, it's, it fishes perfect. And some nice ones too, you know, some mid forties, um, last October, but this time of year, yeah, definitely whopper floppers, <laughs> the small ones, um, also put some fish in the boat too, but if I'm throwing anything right now, it would probably be a flap tail. With that said, it wouldn't be my go-to. Let's talk about flap tails. Cause that's not something we talk about real often on the show is, okay. uh, What's your presentation like on that? I mean, is is it a super slow, sloop, you know, very methodical, just straight retrieve back to the boat? So my, yes, a- average is a, a slow, methodical retrieve. I'll go back to the American Harvard flap tail that he has. I can put some speed on it. Um, I prefer mine not to have a brass knuckle off the, the ass end of it. I really like to have it open. I just like the noise. I don't do the click as much, uh, which is different than a lot of flap tails you see out there. It's not an Indiana blade, but it's kind of got a three prong. I call it a frog, frog foot tail. <laughs> and that really will start making some gurgling noises. And once that gurgle noise kicks in as you speed up a little bit, that's when I seem to get bit. And as far as kind of putting putting a little dance on it, I don't do it as much, especially if I know a fish is on it. I just go with speed. You know, if I'm fishing low riders and pacemakers and throwing a lot of that stuff, when I'm reeling in, I'm popping them a little bit and giving them little jerks and you know, tweak them in a little bit, but it just like with the rattle traps, it seems like that's that steady retrieve puts more fish in the boat than anything. seems like, you know, I'm always of the school of, you know, lots of erratic action. Is there a point in time where you guys, you know, do that where you're, you're ripping dogs and you, and you're getting, you know, I'd say a lot of aggressive action into your baits or is it those fish down there seem to prefer, you know, basically straight, straight, steady retrieves. No, when we when mid March hits and it starts warming up a little bit, and some of the fish are starting to pair up, or they're they're really beat up on the rattle trap bite, um, we really twitch the shallow invaders. We have got a really nice double pump that we do on them just to get them dance, 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 and hang. And you get that hang time. Um, so the erratic kind of gets them to come up, and then that hang time, especially when it's cold, that seems when they 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 come up and rip it. I do throw rubber, but if I want to get really erratic, I, I love the hellhounds. I love the hell puppies. I've loved them since the day they came out and I can slow them down and speed them up and get them to work very, very well. Guys like, uh, like Manta hang tens here, you've got some really methodical glide baits. I prefer the ones that are just going to be all over the place. Um, but then when it sits there for a second, that's when you're going to get your trigger bite. Shallow invaders, like I said, the double pump and we're, we're twitching those little crane baits and small little six inch jakes. If you, you can overwork those small baits, I feel. Um, they'll start rolling and coming out, um, blowing out of the surface a little bit. But, uh, yeah, there are times where the erratic stuff can be beneficial. On rubber, um, I've gone um, not the spring dogs, but the one up from that um, seems to be kind of your bread and butter. And, of course, I'm using the shallow one with the hole in the fin. And uh, even with those, it's more of a pump, pump, pause than what you're doing, like ripping through the cabbage or, for us, ripping through the coontail and uh, milfoil, which doesn't go very well. Uh, it's more of a barrier weed. So you guys that have the uh, the better weeds up north, I'm definitely jealous on that one because mill foil is my enemy. Well, it's my, I love it, but I hate it. You know what's cool too right now, Jeff, is uh, when we get dialed into these coves, there's definitely hot spots, but as you spend more time on the water and these rattle traps are kind of close to the bottom, um, we're still picking up a lot of different weeds. And you'll be surprised at how many fish are sitting in a, a small little pocket of weeds the size of your truck um, that, you know, in the springtime or you know, early summer, they may be six, seven feet high. Right now they're like a foot off the bottom, two feet off the bottom, but it's almost like it's a re regrowth. You know, some of these weeds are really green right now. So I think with the somewhat decent water temps, these things have stayed uh, alive and putting out some oxygen and the fish are loving it. I also think it's a spot for the shad and bluegills to kind of hide. Um, you know, we draw the lake down. The lake and cave was built for water retention for drinking. The recreation is second to why the lake is managed. And due to the milfoil abundance, um, the intake that's 17 feet deep, they say it keeps getting clogged. So about four or five years ago, they draw the lake down three feet. And for reservoir fishermen, they're going to laugh. You know, they run guys are dealing with 20 feet, 30 feet. Um, but here, they draw down about three, four feet. So it kills off everything. So they dam the dam back up March 1st. So all March, we have pretty much rising water. Uh, right now, it's at normal pool. It's over. Like I said, we got some rain. But... Uh, what it does is it makes the mud flats perfect for our presentation. We're not picking up a bunch of junk weeds in that one to four foot range. Um, so it really does help us. Um, they do it to 
you know, help with the water quality, but it helps the anglers for our presentation with the small baits. I think one thing that you mentioned there that can't be overstated is the importance of a pause in, in a lot of presentations. You know, I think that's one thing, um, with glide baits, especially, I know you mentioned the hellhound and it's probably one of the easiest glide baits to work. If you're new to musky angling and you don't have one, I definitely suggest that you get one because of its ease of use. I mean, I don't even, I don't hardly know you could work it wrong. You could probably even, you know, just straight retrieve it and it'll still kind of, kind of swim. It doesn't obviously look the same as if you're, you know, making small taps on it, but it works real well. But I think a lot of anglers get hung up on the fact that they just, you know, on glide baits, they'll just methodically pump, 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 pump all the way back mm-hmm. to the boat. And it's so important to throw those pauses in there. Cause I mean, I've Steve Jensen is much like you. He's huge into the hellhound and almost every time it's on the pause, it's amazing. It's some of the coolest bites you will ever see as well. You know, I mean, I love watching them come up eating a fat bastard, but when those big girls come up and roll on a hellhound six, eight feet from the boat, you freeze. There's nothing you can do. I don't care if you've caught thousands. It just, it's, I mean, I have goosebumps just talking about it. It is my favorite eat, um, for sure. Um, and you got a whole group of guys out there, you know, the old musky clubs, gliders suck, um, because you are going to not have the percentage you do with, with a uh, bucktail or, uh, even a rattle bait, you know, they're lower percentage baits, but there's times where you want to present that fish to a neutral or even negative fish to get them to react. Yeah. I definitely agree with, with the hang time and, uh, yeah, you can't, you can't do it enough. And also with some of these glide baits, like the hellhound, they have fins on the back, right? So even some of the custom color painted ones that you guys have, the fins are still nice and prevalent in the back. So you get a little bit of a wobble as it does its little death fall and not even just giving it a pause, but letting the bait fall a little bit can be very important. You know, I think we kind of covered, you know, most of the springtime stuff before we get you out of here. I know you briefly mentioned this kids camp that you were talking about, you know, let's get a little more details on that. It sounds like, uh, they, obviously, we all know it. Youth is our future in the sport. You know, whether it be uh, you're a guide or or you sell, you know, fishing equipment or you make baits or you know whatever it would be. The youth is obviously important, and not only you know important to preserve. You know, we'll say uh, you know the the industry as far as you know people making money off of it, but just it's important to get youth involved in in fishing. So it's a really cool thing that you got going on. Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, Camp Angler has been a dream of mine for a long time. Um, I'm a prodigy of um, Camp Fish from In Fisherman um, with the Lander guys and uh, grew up going to D-Bar-D and Lock Du Flambeau. Northern Wisconsin was my stopping grounds in the 80s. Going through Camp Fish and seeing camps like that really fall to the wayside and the amount of electronic use and the pandemic and the social impact and um, the community and self-empowerment and, and getting these kids out are it's crucial. It is a crucial time for our youth. Recognizing that and wanting to share my knowledge and passion for the outdoors has been something I wanted to do. And most people don't know, I'm actually a director of a school in Carbondale uh, for kids with complex learning disabilities. And it's been a passion of mine. So blending the youth with the outdoors is something that's uh, really been on my forefront of what I wanted to do for a long time and uh, have the opportunity pairing up with Touch of Nature Environmental Center um, to host a couple events coming up. Not just looking at our Musky Madness program um, for high schoolers and junior high, but also even getting them started younger and looking at the grade school kids for some of the multi-species and the Bass 101 clinics that we'll be putting on. And for people that are looking to get more information on this, is there something they can go check out? So the website's being designed right now. It's going to be campangler.com, and most of the information will probably be on shawneeguides.com. So Shawnee Expeditions is, uh, of course, the main business, and Shawnee Guides is the uh, muskie and bass guide, and then Camp Angler is going to be just set up for the actual camp. Uh, and we do have the ability to do day programs, uh, but the camps that I'm talking about for Camp Angler are anywhere from three three days to about two weeks, and they're overnight camps. Um, and we've got it built out for not only just youth campers to come, co-ed, um, but we've also got some camps in the works for parents and kids to come down. So you can bring your son or daughter with, you know, it's, we've also had a couple moms show up with their daughters, which is awesome. You know, we're, we're, we're open to kind of any, anything that the parents want to put together, we're able to do. We're fortunate enough, of course, to be in the Shawnee National Forest. We just talked a while about Kincaid Lake, but there's Cedar Lake, Little Grassy, Devil's Kitchen, Crab Orchard National Wildlife Refuge. So we really are in an area that's heavily into the outdoors. And of course, our biologists are taking care of our resources. 
But, uh, yeah, more to come on that, Jeff. Uh, Camp Angler, definitely something to keep an eye out for. And uh, if you guys need anything, shawneeguides.com in the interim. All right, so, Scott, obviously, you know, it's it costs something to run these camps and have these kids in and, and, and whatnot. You know, if somebody wants to get involved and make a donation, is that something that you guys are up for? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. You know, like the costs are through the roof, but also a lot of these, a lot of these young anglers don't have a lot of resources and uh, taking care of them and making sure they're set up for the uh, expedition at Camp Angler is huge. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You know, we're, we're definitely looking for lures and rods and reels, um, even clothing, you know, getting your, your brand out there and let kids wear it um, would be really important. And uh, reaching out to myself or uh, Chris through Shawnee Guides would be a, a huge push in the right direction to get Camp Angler off the ground. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to talk more about that. And, and you know, we donate to a lot of things. I've talked about it before on the podcast. I don't want to, you know, beat it too much, but we, we, you know, we try to give back to the resource as much as we can. You know, we've done lots of stocking programs and it'd be nice for us to get involved in getting some youth involved as well. So, you know, it's definitely something that you and I can talk about it, you know, in the, in the future. I'd like to help out with that too, if we could. Well, that's greatly appreciated, Jeff. And what you guys do at Team Run Outdoors is phenomenal. And I can't tell you how many clients get in the boat and they're like, there's this company that hand writes a thank you on on my invoice, how much that means to me. I mean, just, just the small stuff. We've lost it, right? We've really um, got a little out of tune and some of the hospitality and, and uh, you know, just taking care of each other. And without the youth behind us getting involved in the outdoors, there's a chance some of this may go to the wayside. So um, pairing together with, with you and TRO and other companies that might want to help Camp Angler and Shawnee Expeditions get these kiddos on the water and uh, some of the best gear in the industry would be uh, greatly appreciated. Absolutely. And I appreciate the kind words, you know, like we've, we've said it millions of times. We appreciate all of our customers, all of the support that we've gotten since, you know, 2014, you know, quite honestly, this whole thing's gotten uh, much bigger than I ever, ever anticipated it being. And, uh, you know, we owe it all to the customers, you know, without that we'd be uh, nothing. Anyway, Scott, I don't want to keep you too much longer because uh, it's fishing season for you. I know you told me you got to get on the water yet this afternoon, so I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. For people that want to, uh, you know, learn more about Shawnee Expeditions and what you guys have going on, what's the best way they can go about doing that? Sure. You can reach myself, Scott Donovan, at 618-201-5820. Best way is probably go to www.shawneeguides.com and learn more about the uh, expeditions and packages that we provide. Also, just give me a call if you want to touch base on lake conditions and the bite. We don't mind sharing, even if you're not using our services. Excellent. Well, once again, Scott, I want to thank you for that. It was uh, good to see you in Chicago, and I hope that you have a you know wonderfully successful, you know we'll call it winter yet for you. It feels like I'm a, 55 would be very spring-like for us, <laughs> but... Uh, I hope you have a great winter, spring on the water, and I'm sure we'll catch up with you soon. We want to thank all of our listeners for putting up with us for another episode, and we'll see everybody again with a new one next week, Wednesday. Thanks, guys.